I'm Arye Cohen, and this is Daf Shui, Weekly Daf. Give me 40 minutes or so, and I'll give you a Daf or so. Welcome to another episode and another Daf. Um, we're in the middle of the summer. We're in the run-up to Tisha B'Av. It's an interesting phenomenon this year where Tisha B'Av falls out on Shabbat, and so Tisha B'Av day itself is kind of a sebation Tisha B'Av where we have Shabbat, we have meals and friends, and we eat and drink and celebrate. And then the next day, though, we remember, oh, right, Tisha B'Av. There's a whole discussion about whether or not to celebrate Tisha B'Av because we now have the land of Israel, we now have the state of Israel, and isn't that what it was all about? On the other hand, if one reads the news from Israel, there's lots to fast about, there's lots to mourn about. Though now it's not about what's being done to us, what's being done to Jews, but it's what Jews are doing. So there is that. There is some bright lights, though, in this run-up to Tisha B'Av. Last night, as I am recording, uh, Kansas did not destroy the constitutional protection for abortion. Mixed results, other places in the country in the primaries, but we'll see. Still running up to the general election in Los Angeles. The Board of Supervisors approved putting on the ballot charter amendment that we can impeach the sheriff, who is Sheriff Villanueva, the Trump of Los Angeles. So there we are. We might get some kind of a minimal agreement on climate. We passed some gun laws. Maybe Messiah will be born this year on Tishabov. Who knows? It's the summer, and here we are in our comfy little bait midrash in the closet, here at Daf Shui. We try to bring you the highest quality Daf Shui programming available on this site. We so appreciate your being here with us, pulling up a chair to our imaginary table, and joining in the centuries-old process of asking the question, what were the rabbis thinking? So now, we are asking for you, if you are able, to be partners in this venture by going to our Patreon page, which is linked on the podcast page, and becoming card-carrying members of the Bay Midrash. Cards not included. Remember, we are not one of those corporate Dafyomi outfits. We're more of a rickety storefront shtibel Dafyomi. Thank you so much. Who's Daf? Arlah. Who's Daf? Arlah. Who's Daf? Arlah. My voice might be a bit raspy today. I think I'm fighting off a little bit of a cold. So excuse me for that. And in addition, I am kind of bandaged. You can't see, but I took a fall yesterday while running, which just supports my basic premise that once you get off the couch, it's all downhill. Just remember, no pain, no pain. Okay, here we are. We are on Tzadi Amud Aleph, the last couple of lines of Tzadi Amud Aleph, 90A. We're moving towards the end of the fifth parak. This has been a long time of coming. So here we are. We're going to take a step back and continue where we were last week. Amar, Ella Amar of Chista. Ella Amar of Chista, Shmuel, Kra Ashkach V'Darish. Right, so Shmuel, who had said earlier that Ein Mosifin al Midot Yotermi Shtut Velo Al Hamatbeya Yotermi Shtut, we don't add on to the measurements, or we meaning like the the city does not add on to the measurements more than a sixth, and does not if they want to raise the value of coins, they can't raise them more than a sixth, and you can't make more than a sixth profit. So question was why, and what was the reason, and they went back and forth. So it came down to the fact that Shmuel just read a verse, and he exegeted the verse. He read it midrashically. 
Now, this is the verse. This verse is an odd verse to prove anything from because it's a verse that really, on a on a basic pshat level, nobody knows what's going on. The shekel esrim gera. The shekel is the shekel we are talking about is of twenty gera. This is from from Yecheskel, and it's one of the. It's part of the whole elaboration of temple that Yecheskel is talking about. Yecheskel, the only guy who, when he has a vision of a prophet, the prophet is standing there with a measuring rod, and they go through architectural plans. But okay, that's Yecheskel. Let's go. You know, earlier on in the book, he had this whole vision of the chariot. That's cool. Cool. Anyway, the shekel we're talking about is a shekel of esrim gera, uh, of 20 gera. Now, here, the next part of it is the part that's not really understandable. It's not clear what it means, but that's the part that we're going to focus on and that the Gemara has a very specific reading on. Esrim shkalim, chamisha ve'esrim shkalim, asarav chamisha shekel hamaneh yelechem. So 20 shekels, 25 shekels, 10 and 5 shekels, the mana will be worth for you. Mana is, a, is kind of a, a common coin in Yechezkel's time, in biblical times. And now the question is, what is what does all that mean? So one possibility is that they're saying that the mana has a flexible value. Sometimes it's worth 20, sometimes it's worth 25, sometimes it's worth 10, sometimes it's worth 5. But the rabbis actually are taking this to be an a math problem, right? That this is additive. So the mana is worth 20 plus 25 plus 10 plus 5, which is 60, right? So that's where they're going with this. And so they ask, mana matan va'arba'in havu? So is the mana then... 240. Now, what that means is that it, that's the question because, and this is basic, this is Rashbam's understanding of this, of this, uh, of these lines. Um, is the mana worth 60 shekels as it is if we add up all these numbers, um, which is 240 dinars because a shekel is worth four dinars. So if you have 60 times four is 240. But don't we elsewhere establish that the mana is worth 25 slimes? So therefore, four times 25. The hainu mea zuz is a hundred zuz, and a zuz is, is equal to a dinar, so it should be a hundred dinar. How can it be two hundred and forty when it uh, actually does not equal that much? It actually equals twenty-five selas rather than sixty. So there we are. So that's the question. How are we talking about two hundred and forty? Uh, how can a mana consist of sixty shekels? Right, since each biblical shekel is equivalent to four dinars. If a mana is equal to 60 shekels, a mana is 240 dinars, but a mana is actually equal to 25 shekels, which is 100 dinars. And that's the Davidson translation, basically, of what the Rashbam says. So, rather, the Gemara says, the Psalm says, Ela shmami slot. We learn from this three things. Shmami manashal kodesh kaful haya. We learn that the mana, the sanctified mana, in other words, the mana around the temple, was worth twice the price. As, and the Rosh Bible explains that. So it was, in other words, it was worth 50 shekels. And the 50 shekels that are left over are the extra six that were added onto the mana of, of the whole mana, the non 
holy mana. And uh, the five selahs on the 25, which is 30 selahs, and when you double that, it is 60 shekel. So that's how you get to that number. So, and we learn, so the first thing we learn is that the mana, uh, the holy mana is double that of the regular mana. And we also learn that you add to the measurements, but you don't add more than a sixth. And we also learn from this, since they took the five after the 25, that the extra six is from outside, right? So you add the extra five, not on the 25, uh, and then it's 30, but that extra five is added onto the 25 and not from inside the 25. And that is called Stuta Milovar, that is from the outside. So that's all you learn from this very cryptic verse in Yechezkel. And that's how Shmuel learns that you don't get more than, you don't add more than a sixth onto the coins and weights. Rav Papa Rav Shmuel talking Kaila Bartzlata Kafizi. However, Rav Papa, the son of Shmuel, uh, ordained a measurement which was three kafizi. So kafiza, one kafiza is three log, right? A log is a quarter of a kav. All this is inter is like a you know a self-contained system, right? So kafiza is three log. So measure of three kafiza, which is is nine log, which is three login more than a half tarkav, which is another measurement. A tarkab is six logins, so nine is, is three more than nine. So Rav Papa Barshmuel seemed to have added onto the half tarkab measure another half, which is more than a sixth. So he, if you add another half, which is three sixths, no some math, that's more than one sixth. So this seems to be a problem. So when he, so how can you do that? So Amrulay, so they said to him, "Vahamar Shmuel ain't mostly finalim doubt You can't add on to measurements more than a sixth. So he said back to them, Amar lahu, lahu, ana kaila chadita takini. No, I'm making a new measurement. I'm not enlarging an old measurement. I'm making a whole new measure, which is called a, which is, which is a three kafizi measure. Shadre la pumpedita velo kiblua. So they sent this measurement to the sages in Pumpedita to see if it was cool. And the Pumpedita folks said, no. Shadre la fafunia ve kiblua. Bukarole rose papa. So they sent it to Pafunia, which might be Epiphania. That's identified by Jastro. We know it's a city. It's not an oft-mentioned city in the Gemara. But it's a city that's mentioned a couple of times in the Bavli. It is mentioned one other time in Bavabatra. Earlier on 16, uh, on Dav Tedzayan, where Achabar Yaakov is quoted as saying something in Pafunia. And he was apparently, apparently was located there, as was his student Rav Papa located next to Pumbedita. Now, it's not clear what this thing was called, the Rose Papa, or in the the manuscripts were all over the place. Kuz Papa, Raz Papa, Ron Papa, Raj Papa, and if you know those all, the Dalit, Zion, Nun, are all very close orthographically. So, understandably why they went, especially since they didn't know what it meant. It's possible there's a suggestion that it is actually a Persian word, and it could be, it's also possible that's because it was Rav Papa's place, so that's why they named it after him, or not. Okay, now we have a siman, which is in which is a very late edition. It's in the parentheses in the Gemara that was originally published by the widow and the brothers Rome. It's in parentheses. A siman is kind of is a mnemonic, and it's the first word 
of every part of the next conversation, which seems, which they understand, whoever did the simanim understood as one thing. Osare perot, ein otrin, ein motzin, ein mistakrim, pamayim bebeitim, matrin velomotzin. So if you remember those words, then you'll remember the way the sugya goes. And we'll understand those words in the end after we understand everything. So we're not going to go through them now. It's no Rabbanon. So we have a, so we're going through a bunch of Bright out. Some of them we have in the Tosefta, some of them we don't. It's now Rabbanan. Otsarei perot, umalvei beribit, umaktinei efa, umafkiei sherim. Those who hoard fruit and who lend on with interest and who make their efa smaller than it's supposed to be when they're measuring when they're measuring out stuff, and those who enlarge the prices, the measurements, um, they they kind of uproot them. Alehema katub omer, upon them is this verse from Amos. The intention is verse from Amos. Lemor, these are the folks who will go out saying, People who will say, when will the, the Rosh Chodesh festival, the Rosh Chodesh day celebration holiday end so that we can go out and sell? And Shabbat will end so that we can open up the gran- the granary and that we can make the, the measurements smaller and make the shekel larger and that we can pervert the, uh, the scales in order to defraud people. So in other words, it's, it's Amos is, is looking at people who, who seem so pious and reverent because they're keeping Shabbat and they're keeping Rosh Chodesh, but they're just waiting for the minute when they can go out and then make a, a uh, an improper profit off of the poor. And it says, uh, Amos says two verses later, God swears in the pride of Jacob if he will forever forget all of their deeds. So all these folks are condemned in God's eyes. Who are these? Now, those, who are these folks? Otsarei perot kigon man. Who are those who hoard fruit? Amar Rabbi Yochanan kigon Shabtai atzar perot. Rabbi says, there's a guy named Shabtai who was a fruit hoarder and like him. So we know, actually, who there's something about this Shabtai guy because in uh, Bavli Yoma 82b 83a, we have a story about him. Hai Ubra da Archa. There was a, a a pregnant woman who smelled something on Yom Kippur and wanted to, uh, was really, so you know that the Mishnah in, in Yoma says that if a person has a bulmos, which is an uncontrollable desire for food, so then they should be fed, especially if they're a pregnant woman. So Hai Ubra Ubara da Archa, so there was a pregnant woman who smelled some food and really wanted and, and was really hungry for it. Atila Kame. So they he, they came before the sages. They came before him. Who's him? Rabbi Hanina. They came before Rabbi Hanina. Amar Laho. So he said to them, L'choshula, whisper to her uh, that it's Yom Kippur. And they did. La uh, ilchisha. But her desire was not weakened. Kari Alei, so he read about her, about the, 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 the fetus that was in her womb. Zuru Rishaim Meirechem. Go out, evil people, from the womb. Kloma, um, that is, 
already from their womb they are it is clarified that they are that they are aliens and she gave birth to Shabtai, who was apparently an evil person, who he would uh, hoard fruit, right? He would hoard fruit in years of famine and so that he could raise their prices exaggeratedly in the years uh, later on to, to steal from the poor. So that's who Shabtai Otsar Perot is. So Shmuel's father, we know Shmuel's father from a number of different places, and we don't know his name. His name is always Abu de Shmuel, Shmuel's father. So he would sell his fruit, apparently, but in the uh, winter rate, as the winter rate. So in other words, he would sell his fruit in the winter at the market rate. He wouldn't hold on to it so that in the summer it would be worth more because in the summer there's less fruit. The fruit is growing in the winter or the spring, and in the summer there's no fruit, so then he could have made money off it, but rather he sold it in the winter according to the rate of the winter. Shmuel Bray and his son Shmuel, Mashe Lefera, Umaz bin Labetara, Afla Kitara Harpa. So Shmuel's son waited with the fruit and sold it in the summer with the winter rate. Right? He sold it. So he actually waited until the summer when the fruit was was dear and it was harder to buy for poor people. And he went back and he sold it at a discount rate, the rate of the winter. So they sent back to him and said, the father is better than the son. Abu Dishmol, who sold in the winter according to the rate of the winter. That seems counterintuitive. My Tama, Tara de Ravach Ravach, because what he does, Tara de Ravach, the, the rate of profit, Ravach, he profited, and then he caused everybody, and this is the way the Rashbam and others understand it, that if he sold it in the winter at the winter rate, rather than waiting till the summer and then selling it for cheaper in the summer, he would cause other people to also sell it at that rate then, and then it wouldn't become more expensive in the summer because people already have enough fruit. Amarav, so therefore the father was was better. Amarav, osa adam et kabo otsar. So a person can take his own kav, his own measure of fruit, and make it into an otsar, meaning he could save it for himself. And that's okay. That's cool, because it's, it's, it's his own. He's not buying up from other people. Tani nami hachi. We also have a brighter which says the same thing. Tani nami hachi usually indicates that this was earlier in the development of the sugya, and then all of a sudden the sugya developed, and then they see, oh, look at this, and so they put a tani nami hachi. Ein otrin perot dvarim sheyesh behen chayi nefesh kigon yinot shmanim v'saltot. So it's, a person is not allowed to um, hoard those produce that is chayi nefesh, that is life, that life is, depends upon it, such as wine and oil and flour. Can't get along without wine or oil or flour. Aval tablin kamun ufilfilin mutar. But spices, cumin, and pepper, you're allowed to hoard because nobody's going to die if they don't have them. But med varim amurim, what are we talking about? Belokeach menashuk. mutar. What are we talking about? We're talking about somebody who takes, who, who buys from the marketplace. You can't uh, corner the market, as it were. But if somebody uh, harvest his own stuff, then you're allowed to do whatever you want. Mutar la la perot gimel shanim And a person is allowed to put in his silo to save fruit in the land of Israel for three years, 
the year before Shvi, the sixth year, the seventh year, and the eighth year. So in other words, so people will have, because you're not allowed to harvest during those years, so if you harvest before and then you are able to distribute to the poor during those years, or distribute to everybody so they can have fruit during those years. And in a time of famine, And in the years of, of famine, you're not even allowed to um, hoard a cob's worth of carob because it, it messes up all the prices, right? It, it literally, it infuses a curse in the prices. So Rabbi Yossi Bar Chanina said to his assistant, Fuga, Go out and collect for me the fruit produce for three years, uh, the year before Shemitah, the, the year of the Shemitah, and the year after the Shemitah. An example of what we just saw in the Brita. This week's podcast is brought to you by our friends at Plugta, the original social conflict consultancy. Ever wonder how to resolve those awkward social situations where you're throwing a party and you invite one person, but you meant to invite another person, and you really liked the one person, but you ended up inviting the person you really hated because their names were really close, and your fingers are really fat, and they hit the wrong name? And you left a message, and the wrong guy came to the party. And now what do you do? Well, let me tell you, Plugta was created just for those situations. With their patent-pending Compton Bar Compton method and their JBID solutions, that is, just burn it down, you won't have to worry about these situations anymore. You will be able to enjoy your parties without the pesky people who just want to poop on your party. And the best thing is the JBID solutions give you maximal deniability. So when things go south, you aren't even there. And now, for listeners of this podcast, a special offer. If you contact through our website, www.plugta.com slash dafshui, you get half off on your first social disaster. That's www.plugta.com slash dafshui. So now that we, now that we um, talked about hoarding fruit, we're going to start talking about this moves us into a discussion, and we talked about, we mentioned the years of famine, so we're gonna, that's going to move us into a discussion which is more straight away the years of famine, and tied up with the land of Israel. One is not allowed to take fruit from the land of Israel, out of the land of Israel, produce that has, that's, that life is dependent upon such as wine and oil and flour. Rabbi said, you know what? Take out all the wine. That will lessen the amount of licentiousness or foolishness. Just as you're not allowed to take from the land of Israel to outside the land of Israel, so too you're not allowed to take from the land of Israel to Syria, which is to the north of the land of Israel. Rebbe says it's okay if you're living on the border of, if you're living in a, a province which is on the border inside the land of Israel, you're allowed to sell it to a province which is just on the other side of the border in Syria. It's not Rabbanan. One cannot make profit in the land of Israel, on things which life is dependent upon, like wine and oil and flour. They said about Rebbe Lezab and Azariah that he actually did profit off of 
wine and oil. So on wine, he was like Rabbi Yehuda, who said, you know, if you sell off the wine, then you'll have less licentiousness. So let's sell it all off. and oil. In Rebelezer's place, there was enough oil that you can sell. There was a lot of oil, so you could sell it, and it wouldn't uh, endanger anybody. So one cannot profit twice from eggs. So what is this talking about? Amar Mari 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 said, Pliga bar Ravu Shmuel. Ravu Shmuel disputed about what that means, Pamayim profiting twice from eggs. Chad Amar al Chad Trey. One of them says, making double the amount, right? To sell one for the price of two. Chad Amar Tagar la Tagra. And the other one says that a, a dealer should not sell to another dealer. But if a dealer buys, then from a wholesaler, from a, a chicken farmer, then that dealer should sell straight to the public. And why are Beitzim unique? Because it's it's a very labor-intensive, or at least the Rishonim says, a very labor-intensive business in order to get eggs out, apparently. Um, and so, therefore, it, there is high cost on it anyway. So, therefore, you don't want to raise the cost higher so that the poor will have the possibility of buying eggs. It's Matriin al-prakmatya afilu bishabat. So this is an interesting conversation, and it has to do with taniot, with fast days. Right? And one of the things that you do with the fast that our fast days are for is when bad things happen, and you say in the Beit Knesset on Shabbat, you say in the synagogue on Shabbat, this is we are going to have a fast because this awful thing is happening, and we have to do tshuva because bad things are happening. And so the question, and so here this bright tells us. That also, this also relates to prakmatya, which is business, trade. So if trade goes bad, so you also say that in the shul, in, in the synagogue on Shabbat. I'm Rabbi Yochanan. So Rabbi Yochanan says, what is this? What are we talking about when trade goes bad? Specific types of trade, um, silk trade in, uh, linen trade in Babylonia, and wine and oil in the land of Israel. Rabbi Yosef says there's a specific point when it gets, when the price goes down so much that what used to be worth 10 is now only worth 6. We have a another brighter that tells us One cannot go from the land of Israel outside the land of Israel unless things that used to be worth Two seahs now are worth a tenth the amount a sella. So here I thought there was something interesting. Just in the language, may Eretz, we would think there would be may Eretz Yisrael Luchutzlarts or may Haaretz Luchutzlarts, but there the locution here is just may Eretz from the land, from land, right? Referring to Eretz Yisrael. And there's only one manuscript that I found, the Escorial manuscript, that adds may Eretz Yisrael Luchutzlarts. So most of the manuscripts just have may Eretz and they consistently in this whole thing. And the sugya may aras lechusarts ella imkain amdu satayim basella unless things were so bad that things that used to cost two seahs now cost only a sella. Amar Reb Shimon ematai Reb Shimon said when is this bezman she'ain eino motzei likachal bezman she motzei likachal filu amdas seah basella lo yata. So Reb Shimon says that when is this happening, that this is happening only when you can't find anything to buy. But if you can find it to buy, even if you have to buy something for a seah, 
that costs a seah normally for a sela, you're still not allowed to leave Eretz Yisrael. And Reb Shumban Yochai would say, Elimelech machlon v'chilyon gedolei hador hayu u'farnasei hador hayu mipnei ma'ne en shu. So this is referring to the story of Ruth. So Elimelech, who was Noami's wife, Machlon and Chilion were the sons who ultimately died. They were actually the great men of the generation, and they were the the, the leaders of the generation. So why were they punished? Because they went, they left the land of Israel and went outside the land of Israel. And the whole city was in uproar about them, saying, "Is this actually Nami?" My hazot nami. What does it mean? What does the verse mean when it says hazot nami? Is this actually nami? Amar Rabbi Yitzchak, Rabbi Yitzchak said, Amar chazitem nami sheyatzat miras lechutzaras altala. Did you see Naomi who went from Eretz Yisrael to outside of the land? Look what happened to her. Amar Rabbi Yitzchak, Oto ayom shabbat rutamo v'yal Eretz Yisrael meita ishto shabbos. And Rabbi Yitzchak said, You know, as long as I'm talking about the book of Ruth. I'll throw something in it, Elson. That same day that Ruth, the Moabite, came to the land of Israel, Boaz's wife died. Now, if you remember the story, Boaz was the guy that Ruth went and harvested in his field and ultimately ended up marrying him. There's a whole little part there in the middle about whether or not Boaz had shielding her from sexual harassment or he was harassing her. Who knows? Right? Read it and make your own decision. And this is what the people say. So and before a person dies, somebody else arrives or stands up to control his household. A folk saying, which perfectly fits this story, that when Boaz's wife died and there, root was, there was root. Says the name of Rav. Oh my God, we found somebody who we don't know who he is, so we're going to identify him with Boaz, somebody in Shoftim in the book of Judges. My Kamashmalan, why? What do we learn from that? So here we, there's a, a basic principle of Midrash. The Midrash abhors anonymous folks. Even if they have names, we don't know anything about them. So therefore, the Midrash oftentimes will either derive a story from their names or like Nimrod, Nimrod in Breshit, that they get from the fact that the name seems to have the root of Marad, that Nimrod was the person Shahikir et Elohav Umarad Bavet. He knew who God was, but he rebelled against him. So Nimrod becomes this really bad guy just from his name. And other places where you have two different figures who we don't know who they are, and like here, they identify them as the same person. So here we have Ivtsan is Boaz, and what do we learn from that? Ki'idach the Rabbah Barav Huna, like another teaching of Rabbah Barav Huna, Dhamma Rabbah Barav Huna, Rabbah Barav Huna says in the name of Rav, Me'ab esri mishta'ot asa Boaz levanav. Boaz made a hundred and twenty parties, meaning uh, marriage parties for his children. Shene'amar, he had 30 sons, and 30 daughters he sent out, meaning he married off to others. And he brought 30 
daughters to his sons from elsewhere. And the end of the verses, and he, he judged Israel for, he was the judge of Israel for seven years. And in each one of these, for each one of these marriages, he made two parties, and one in his his house, the father's house, and one in the in-law's house. And the kicker is that in all of these, he didn't invite Manoach, the guy who he was who who was the Goel, the redeemer in the story of Ruth. Why? Amar kudna akaraba my parley. Said this guy is is uh, has nothing to give me. He is a um, he has no children. He's barren. So therefore, what is he going to repay me with? So therefore, why should I invite him? He's never going to have a wedding, and he's never going to repay me. So why should I invite him? Tana, and further it says, V'chulan metu b'chayav. And all of his sons died in his lifetime, the implication being that they, they died before they gave, they bore him any grandchildren. V'chayinu damri again, we have another folk saying that fits this perfectly. V'chayech diyaladet shitin shitin lamalech ichbal v'olid chad demishitin zariz. So in your on your life that you had sixty births and what was it to you? What what what? Or in another version, my hanaa itlach. What? How did it benefit you at all? Instead of these. You should have married somebody else who will give birth to one person that will give you children, right? And that is Ruth, who gave birth, and eventually the line ended up in the line of King David. All right, so that was, and if we go back to look at the Siman now, right, we have Otsare Perot, right? That's the first Brita about hoarding fruit. Ain't Otsreen, one is not allowed to hoard fruit. Ain mistakreen, one is not allowed to make profit off certain things, which have to do with life, with, with giving life. Pamayim bevetim, eggs are sold for twice. Matrin velomotzin, and you announce about trade in the synagogue, and you don't take these certain things outside of the land of Israel. So that was the siman. If you just remember the siman, then you will have remembered the whole conversation. And now we come to another siman, Melech. Abraham Eser Shanim Shiniftar Nitnaseh Levado. And we'll see that at the end. Amarav Hanan Barava Amarav. So Rav Hanan Barava now saying in the name of Rav. Elimelech Vissalmon Ufloni Almoni Vavi Naami Kulan Bnei Nachshon Ben Aminadavhi. So we're sticking on the theme of the book of Ruth. It says Elimelech and Salmon and Ploni Almoni. So those are folks who are involved in the dealing of redeeming the field, and Nomi's father are all the children of Nachshon ben Aminadav, um, who was the guy um, who jumped into the Yamsuf on the way out of Egypt and caused it to split because he was willing to believe in God. My Kamashmalan, so what does this teach us? Like, what difference does it make if these guys were all the children of Nachshon? Even if one has merit of their ancestors, that merit does not stand up for them at the time when they go outside of the land to Chutzlaretz. When they go from the land of Israel to outside the land. Unclear how that works with Nachshon, who seemed to have been cool. But okay. 
Rav Hanan Baraba said in the name of Rav, Imei de Abraham Amtalai Bat Karnavo. And this is information that I'm sure all of you have been waiting to find out. Abraham's mother's name was Amtalai, the daughter of Karnavo. Imei de Haman Amtalai Bat Orvati. And Haman's name, Haman's mother's name was Amtalai, the daughter of Orvati. V'simanech Tamei Tamei Tahor and how do you remember that? Because they both have the first, they both have the same name, Amtalai. So you remember which one is Avram's mother and which one is Haman's mother. So the the sign is Tameh is with Tameh and Tahor is with Tahor. The pure is with the pure and the impure is with the impure. And the Orev, the bird, the raven, was the name of Haman's mother's mother. She's Amtalai, the daughter of Orvati, the daughter of Raveness and Raven, or the Raven one. And Raven is an impure animal, so therefore we know that that was Haman's mother. And the Gemara goes on, Ime de David Nitzevet bat Adael Shma. So David's mother is called Nitzavet Bat Adael. Ime de Shimshon Tzlalfonit Va'achte Nashan. Shimshon's mother is Tzlalfonit, and his sister is Nashan. And these are just all people who are just found in Chronicles. And what do we gain from knowing all this? So we can answer the heretics or the 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 sectarians. Apparently a favorite sectarian pastime was to ask, you know, Jews, so who was Avram's mother? Who was David's mother? And now we have answers. And then we could send them on their way packing. So since we're talking about Abraham, because we just talked about his mother and that's it, Rav Chista identifies Ur Kastim, Abraham's birthplace, with a place in Kuta that is called Ivra Zeira, the small Ivra, or the small passage. Amarav Hanan Barava Amarav, Rav Hanan Barava said in the name of Rav again, on the day that Abraham passed on from this world, all the greats of the nations of the world stood in a line and said, Woe to the world whose leader was lost. Woe to the ship whose captain was lost. That's what all the great people of the world were doing when Abraham died. And right now we're going to end right there with that. It's an interesting conversation that went from adding a six and not adding a six onto measures to hoarding fruit, whether or not you're allowed to sell fruit from Israel to outside the land of Israel, when you're allowed to leave the land of Israel, and then obviously to talking about the story of Ruth with Elimelech and Machlon and Chilion, and then moving to outside of Israel and ending up with Avraham, who, of course, was born outside the land of Israel and made the reverse trip back into the land of Israel. And there you go. So thank you so much for spending this time with me. My name is Aryeh Cohen, and you can follow me on Twitter on Irmiklat, I-R-M-I-K-L-A-T. Thank you so much, as always, to my producer, Ellie Unger Sargon. Check out his podcast, Four Cubits, with Jeff Helmreich. Uh, my wonderful Chavruta, Charlotta von Robert, and of course the communications team here at Daf Shui, Shachar Cohen Hodas. You can always reach out to me with any questions, criticisms at the widow and the brothers at gmail.com. It's been a pleasure having you here this week. I hope to see you again next time. 
Stay well, stay healthy, stay safe.